Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we have an interview between Columbus Underground's urban development staff contributor, Brett Warren, and Yermer Steiner, the founder, chief executive officer of Steiner & Associates, better known as the company behind Easton. They talk in depth about development as a civic responsibility, the importance of density and how to define it, the virtue of collective action, how developers can best advocate for their work through consensus, and the future of things like transportation, retail, downtown, and Easton. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon, Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. Enjoy the interview. But uh, my goal is to make the Columbus a better place. So, I mean, the only reason I'm sitting with you is that I hope that we'll contribute to that, you know. Of course, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not interested in controversial, you yeah. know, comment just for the sake of, you know, creating right. waves, you know I mean? Right, just, right. Great. Yarmer Steiner, founder and CEO of Steiner & Associates. Um, I'd like to thank you for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. I wondered if you'd be willing to start just a little bit with, uh, give us kind of the Cliff Notes version of your background and where you grew up and how you ended up in, in Columbus. I was born in Istanbul and uh, I finished high school in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, went to college in France. Uh, I have a double degree in engineering and business uh, from University of Toulouse, south of France. Served in the French military, I was in the Airborne, and uh, came to the United States in 1980 to start the American affiliate of a French company, mm-hmm. Houston, Texas. I was 28 years old with my two young kids. And then uh, I lived in Texas, uh, I lived in Manhattan. I lived in uh, Miami, Florida, and then in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So Houston, Manhattan, Miami, Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's now, I mean, Columbus is the city where I have lived longest. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So now that's home. I know in Columbus, the main thing people identify you with is Easton, of course. Um, and I do want to ask you a little more specifically about that development a little later on. but. I know I've been following the work you've been doing with Urban Land Institute, Morpsey, with their Insight 2050, and then with the regional corridors. So I'd be interested to hear how you got interested in those initiatives and if you could give us sort of a a brief update on on where those stand now. In general, this is all uh, aligned uh, with uh, our vision of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there are two kinds of real estate developers, um, you know, I jokingly, uh, you, you know, uh, you can get a degree in real estate development uh, both in uh, University of UPenn uh, at the University of Pennsylvania at Wharton, or you can get it also at uh, Harvard. And uh, at uh, UPenn, uh, the School of Real Estate is uh, in the in Wharton in the School of mm-hmm. Business. 
uh, at the Harvard School of Real Estate is at the GCD, Graduate School of Design, GSD, mm -hmm. School of Architecture. So it's interesting. Both are forming developers who you know have obviously an understanding of uh, design and construction as well as finance, but Wharton sees that as a business, as mm -hmm. a financial transaction with brick and mortar, whereas Harvard sees it as a you know, a you know, placemaking transaction with financial overtones. We buy into the Harvard approach. Mm -hmm. That is, we believe that uh, development is a civic responsibility, mm -hmm. like an architect, and uh, and obviously it has a financial approach to it. So what happens is, uh, my company, uh, everything I've ever done, has always been to try to maximize the impact in the community, and and then obviously with financial record keeping as you are mm -hmm. if you are to survive so uh, for us uh, ULI is an extension of that way of approaching you know real estate uh, urban land institute i mean my company my son was instrumental in creating the the, the chapter in columbus the council 10 years ago and uh, and ULI's mission is uh, to see how leadership in land use knowledge can contribute to the you know, to the prosperity of, of, of a region. And uh, the purpose of ULI Columbus that we rewritten specifically this year was that how our leadership in, in real estate, in development, in planning uh, could be used to enhance the well-being and the prosperity of Central Ohio. And for well-being, uh, which could be a, a word for happiness, you know, how can we use what we know about real estate to increase the happiness of the region? Uh, we use uh, Gallup's definition of well-being. You know, Gallup okay. has a scientific approach to well-being, which would, by the way, a great subject you know, for you to study and uh -huh. cover. Uh, they've identified a way to measure well-being or happiness across all the nations on, in, the, in, the, in the world and across all the states in the nation and city by city. Mm -hmm. And they have about multiple five pillars, and all of them are impacted by intelligent land use mm -hmm. policies. So basically, my work at ULI is to see how we can use our knowledge of development and uh, land use to contribute, you know, to the well-being of Central Ohio, mm -hmm. other than just being a developer building shopping centers. Right. Um, how do you? How have you found the reception to those kind of, kind of ideas in Columbus? Like over, you said ULI chapter here was established about 10 years ago. Yes. Um, have things changed in that time? Was it initially, were people receptive to that or? Uh, actually, it was double, I mean, everybody was very receptive mm -hmm. to it, but that focus, uh, you know, any new organization, uh, the first few years just tries to survive, mm -hmm. you know, just to establish itself. And, and I've been lucky. Uh, there's a Latin saying about we giants, you know, rest on the, I mean, we dwarfs rest on the shoulder of giants. That's the people before us, you know, build the foundation of this. And mm -hmm. I'm coming now and try to, mm -hmm. you know, move it further. So at the beginning, it's not fair to compare, you know, mm -hmm. a, a council starting with 60 people, you know, yeah. today we are 300. Yeah. And, uh, but Columbus was a perfect place because Columbus is a long tradition of public-private cooperation. Mm -hmm. That is, we have, I mean, that Columbus Way, who is mm -hmm. taught at Harvard, I mean, it's basically, uh, you know, public and private working together to mm -hmm. further basically goals uh, for the community. So in that sense, you know, it worked very well. 
And then the, the second reason, and so, I mean, so you find a group of, for example, developer, architects, I mean, all those principles in the community, when you ask to, to look at their work in light of the well-being of the region, that's not a unusual conversation with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way we think in Columbus, okay, mm -hmm. how can I make a difference? And then the second part of it is the changing times. I mm -hmm. mean, the, the millennial generation and the coming Gen Z generation, uh, for historical reasons, which we can get into, but uh, are more interested in meaningful work. I mean, they are basically, they want that what they do has, makes a difference uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in the world, in the universe. So, you know, when, you know, we appeal to the younger generation of people who work for architects, who work actually for the cities, who work for developers, I mean, uh, engineering firms and so forth, and we show them that their knowledge can be put to work, you know, to mm -hmm. make a region a better place that resonates extremely well with that mm -hmm. generation. So between the way Columbus thinks and then between the upcoming young generations, I think uh, ULI found a very fertile ground mm -hmm. you know, in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Insight 2050 um, study specifically, my understanding of that is um, it's looking at the coming growth in Columbus, which is going to continue. It's also looking at the changing market where there's going to be more of a uh, more of a market for denser development, both from empty nesters and young people. Um, and it's sort of laying things out like this is what the region will look like if we continue to sprawl outward, and this is what could happen if we build a little denser. <coughs> and the, um, the point of 2050 was to build a planning consensus in mm -hmm. Columbus. Uh, uh, Ohio is a home rule state. That means that we do not have central planning or land planning organizations who, who can impose their wills on large swaths of land. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest jurisdictions who are counties have zero zoning power, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and Central Ohio has over, I don't know, 60 or 80 jurisdictions determining what they do. So any effort to try to coordinate all this was not going to work that way. So where we uh, found uh, an interesting angle because uh, some resources we discovered in the country available to us to make that analysis was the good question people like. First, we wanted to make sure, I mean, the goal was to communicate to our community that we are growing. This is not as obvious, you know. Columbus mm -hmm. has always had that reputation of cow town. You know, we don't take ourselves seriously. There's that modesty of the Midwest, you mm -hmm. know, that we all have, and uh, and Ohio has, and that strong modesty makes that sometime you miss, you know, the big picture. Mm -hmm. And 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 even the people who are living here. Oh yeah, are, very yeah. much living here. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I I'm going to quote numbers. I don't know how many people even realize the numbers I'm going to quote now. But uh, between 2010 and 2017, you know, over seven years, uh, Ohio, with all of our nine million people, we added 110,000 residents. Mm -hmm. So Ohio was nine million a calc, so, and some, I'm sorry, using French words here, <laughs> uh, we are 9,000 and some, uh, nine million and some, and we added 110,000 people over seven years. Central Ohio, with our two million people, we added 170,000 people. Wow. Yes. Okay. So yeah. two million people added 170,000. The uh -huh. whole state added 110. So yeah. you have to also understand that there's a math here. Mm -hmm. So not only we are growing, we are bringing in from the rest of the state. Right. So understanding 
that's a significant growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, significant growth. And, and it's happening nowhere else in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a metropolitan area, it's happening in pockets of Ohio, mm-hmm. but not as a global. So communicate, that was important. Mm-hmm. We don't want to confuse ourselves with Austin, Texas, Nashville, and so forth. Our growth is still maybe half the speed, mm-hmm. but we don't want also to think of, that, of ourselves as a sleepy you know, Midwestern town, mm-hmm. because then that growth will be out of control. The second thing was, then we look at those numbers demographically, and this is not wishful thinking. This is not Chamber of Commerce trying to say we are bringing jobs. This is just people giving birth, people <laughs> coming in, going out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost mathematical. Mm-hmm. You know, like the present unemployment in the nation, who is down to four percent, has nothing to do with really politics or economy. It has to do with demographics. I mean, mm-hmm. ten years ago there were papers saying that we are entering that period where more people are retiring than there are people entering the workforce obviously then employment was going to go down. Mm-hmm. So it was the time to actually encourage immigration to balance that, but which we are doing exactly the opposite. I mean, right. it's totally nonsensical. So Columbus is growing, so that was the first thing to say. Mm-hmm. And the numbers are predictable. That is, you know that between now and 2040, 2050, we are going to add, the range varies, but 800 to a million people. Mm-hmm. The question that resonates with people when you ask the question, where do you think we should put that million people? Mm-hmm. That people that question resonates even people who are not in the land use business. Right. They can relate that we are talking about 40 to 50% of the exact population we right. have right. and where we put them. Then the question you ask them, do you want to have something to say about where they go? Mm-hmm. Or do they want them to go wherever developers put them? Yeah. I mean, and the reaction is unanimous. There is yeah. no left, there's no right on this. People yeah. say, well, you know, I have an opinion about how we should be going yeah, about yeah. this. And you don't have to be a yeah. city planner. To you don't need to. <laughs> right. So that what's happened is these two first things that we are growing, and now I think in the vocabulary of the city, I mean, I think we preach that enough mm-hmm. so people know. And ULA was very instrumental because when those numbers became available, I mean, when we, 2050 was over, we created training teams who went out and spoke at mayor breakfast, at rotary clubs, mm-hmm. at the retirement homes. I mean. We did over 140 presentations to little groups of 10 to big groups of 200. Mm-hmm. I mean, that message was repeated over and over again. So now I think it's in the subconscious of our region that mm-hmm. we are growing and we have to be intelligent about where we are putting people. So what 2050 did is basically said, okay, now let's create scenarios and measure their consequences. Mm-hmm. And this scenario was replicate the past. The same place we put the last 800,000 people, the same way, let's put the next 800. Mm-hmm. And then this, there are four scenarios. And the more, so the top scenarios use it uh, maybe 350 square miles of additional land. And then the, the least, uh, you know, most dense scenario use 15 square miles of, of mm-hmm. new land. So there are four scenarios, and we look at all of them. And uh, I mean, today the city. Cannot will not replicate the past experience because mm-hmm. our zoning books already are denser than the past. Mm-hmm. So we are careful about that. But anyway, it showed that in all eight areas that we measured, whether it's uh, you know energy consumption, uh, time driven, uh, you know air quality, which has is direct correlation with um, you know upper respiratory illnesses. Uh, the taxes you pay for maintenance of the infrastructure. And I mean, all those metrics, we have eight of them, mm-hmm. all of them were more favorable to the, you know, to the denser version of the, of the region. Mm-hmm. And that document and that effort was not political because we did not go to anyone, we did not say we are putting them in your neighborhood or your neighborhood. <laughs> right. It was like global numbers, you right. know, global number, right. density pays. And 
that was hugely important because not we know we are a growing region and we know density helps. Mm-hmm. By the way, the definition of density in that document is six units per acre. Okay, <laughs> these are not so skyscrapers. This is yeah. not this is not you know <laughs> New York density. Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's dense like maybe German village and mm-hmm. etc. So that is what's considered dense, yeah. and not all of city was dense, but that right. was dense. And then what was interesting when we did that uh, report is that for the first time uh, that report appealed to everyone because I sometimes joke and I say in the past the conversation about planning was about the guy who lives in uh, you know uh, Lancaster uh, who says I want five acres septic systems I will drill my own well leave me alone and then the counterpoint is the guy who lives in the short north who wants Starbucks or, uh, or North Star under their condo and you know they want to live in an urban setting and yeah. each defending the other why they would prefer one lifestyle versus another and you know essentially using arguments who are qualitative I mean you know what mm-hmm. resonates with a millennial might not resonate right? with yeah. that person yeah. Yeah. so mm-hmm. there was this polarized conversation mm-hmm. our report cut that conversation and mm-hmm. said, you don't have to be dense, but denser areas mm-hmm. is cheaper, yeah. is better in the air, you have more time with your kids because you don't commute as long, use less energy, mm-hmm. I mean, everything works. Now, yeah. you live anywhere you want. So for the first time, we saw counties like Fairfield, Licking, etc., coming to us and saying, hmm, maybe downtown Newark, you know, can we densify, mm-hmm. you know, downtown Lancaster, can we create some lofts? I mean, because there are some people now, I mean, people become aware that some people like density and mm-hmm. accommodating them was not contradictory. Right. So, I mean, that's a long answer. Yeah. To you. you ask me short <laughs> questions, I yes. speak a lot. But, you know. No, I appreciate you uh, taking us through kind of the history of that because it's really interesting because I've seen... Um, I think as a result of the work that that your group has been doing and Morpsey and others, the conversation has definitely moved and I see a lot of acceptance of the big ideas, you know, and but my my main question for you, though, um, because I write about specific developments (laughs) that are um, proposed for specific places and I feel like when you see some of these, you see reactions against them that are really direct like you know for instance we don't have to talk about this specific project but, but Brett the Worthington, his project for example right now you're at Brett, Brett Kaufman, Kaufman in the short north yeah short that's north. a perfect or example the so, challenge that the Leacentis has with uh, Worthington for yes example. exactly like these yeah these are my two examples I yeah. was going to bring up so how I, my question is when the rubber hits the road and you have some of these projects that really kind of fit perfectly into what you're talking about and would help to build some of the density in exactly the places you want to build it. But then, you know, the, the neighbors don't like it or they can't get approval or the city doesn't approve it. Um, moving forward, do you think this is going to be an issue or do you think we're going to actually kind of move past this and these projects are going to get built? <clears throat> First, I would like to say something because you mentioned something and I want to make sure I I mean, I don't correct, but add to what you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, ULI has been a leader in those efforts, but clearly that would not have been possible without the cooperation of MORPSI, sure. yeah. of COTA, mm-hmm. of the Development Department of the City of Columbus. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I mean, many people from Westerville to the mayor of Grove City, I mean, mm-hmm. lots of people are involved in this effort. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I mean, we helped them initiate, but I mean, sure. it's not it's not a 
Clearly, it's not the Yarmir Steiner effort, sure. but it's not the ULI effort alone either. Mm. And that's where ULI does the best. You know, we are above the fray. Mm. We have people from all walks of life, from mm-hmm. city managers to architects to developers to planners to everybody's in it. So we don't have any agenda. We are not develop, mm. de- defending apartments. We are not developing mm. industrial buildings or shopping centers. You know, mm. we are saying how can you make Columbus a better place. So I mean, that's as a little correction, so that you know, sure. as we yeah, present our efforts, it doesn't become just ULI. Um, then, well, the first thing is, in everything we do, we have done in the past and going forward, you need to shape the conversation. That's the first thing you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, could we have told you as a intellectual with a French accent, you know, and getting a few other guys from the university to convince everyone that density was going to work better and that was the future? I would say that if you had taken a survey, probably 80% of us would have guessed that was going to be the outcome. But there's a big difference between coming and saying it and imposing your mm-hmm. opinion or your wisdom, uh, etc., than to come to the conclusion you know, from the ground up mm-hmm. and sharing the information in an objective way. That's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that was very important, you know, because I mean, I can go even one step beyond that maybe, I don't know if you know, you were involved in it when ULI Columbus did the Columbus 2050 study which had nothing to do with Inside 2050, which was about what is the city of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we, it was a two-year effort. We, we had a little grant to play with. And we get th- hundreds and probably thousands of people together over the term of this to come with the, here is the report for the future of Columbus. Mm-hmm. I was in, a, uh, in the second world forum of ULI in London, you know, with Prince Charles was there and others, where we were discussing the city of tomorrow. You know, I mean, like three years before that. And the conclusions of the city of tomorrow were 95% the same as the city mm-hmm. of tomorrow Columbus reached. Mm-hmm. But we could have just printed this change, you know, <laughs> the city with Columbus and it would have been the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Right, right. So you need to build that consensus. So going forward, we need to do the same thing. So what are we doing? I'm not going to find a solution, you know, for Worthington or for Brett's project, you know, on uh, High Street. But what are the things that we are doing right now? So the next is now is the corridor study. Mm-hmm. Because everybody there is some kind of a consensus that densification should go with some kind of a uh, in, enhanced mobility corridors. Mm-hmm. I'm using carefully, I'm choosing my words. <laughs> yes. Enhanced mobility corridors. Because then those corridors, because uh, if you want the transportation cost and housing cost are an agglom- you need to add them together when you are looking at anything mm-hmm. and uh, I mean you can live without a car in certain environments which then you can spend more on your housing or you can you know spend less on your housing and spend much more on your cars mm-hmm. and those choices do not have the same impact on the collective happiness right. you know we know that uh, economic prosperity density helps you know uh, environmental densities help so there is reasons for that. So, so we knew that enhanced mobility corridors are an important thing. So we went to Kota and the city of Columbus. I mean, again, another example of ULI's intervention. Both of them, one hit the next gen, one was something else. We were looking to the future mobility of Columbus. Yeah, connect Columbus. Both of them uh, connect yeah. Columbus. <clears throat> Both of them were using the same California consultant, <laughs> but two different teams conducting two different studies running parallel without talking to each other. So we, I think, helped eliminate 
that and finally after a long time get them to agree on five sample corridors not mm -hmm. all corridors and then we said let's do a similar study on those five corridors that is to see if we coordinate zoning requirements public incentives mm -hmm. uh, and and some kind of a increased mobility and can we increase the density on those corridors and if you can increase them you know what kind of consequences does it have and mm -hmm. can we do it in a way for example with dealing about housing issues as well you know the affordable housing issues mm -hmm. part of the package the way you get your incentives the way you get your entitlements and so forth you have to look at it comprehensively we said so take these corridors we have 50 miles of corridors they are one mile wide so they go half a mile each side of the corridor and then see how many people we can put on them if we dream about the future i mean this work is under progress right now mm -hmm. And, and we already identified that of, if we had a million people coming here in the next 50 years, we can easily take 30 to 60% of that growth in those five corridors. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying 30 to 60, even if you take 30, which are very low densities, mm -hmm. and Columbus has more corridors. So before even going, taking green fields and farms and everything else, we can just start building more density in town. Mm -hmm. And then what we are doing is we are comparing that density of putting the same number of people, say 250,000 people on those corridors, putting them in Pickerington, Delaware, Licking County, wherever we want to put them, mm -hmm. and compare the models. Mm -hmm. But now we have 10 variables. We have mm -hmm. not only this, we also have taxes and other things. So we are looking at air quality, taxes, time-driven energy consumption, water consumption, I mean, you know, upper respiratory mm -hmm. illnesses, all those variables, and see which one works better. And uh, I hope, not I hope, I mean, I have no hopes, but I believe that uh, corridors are going to be a, a more responsible use of uh, land mm -hmm. and it will be a more responsible fiscally uh, mm -hmm. sustainable model etc i mean that is the kind of environment you want to leave to your kids you know mm -hmm. they have to pay less taxes the air is cleaner you know and they they commute less spend more time with their families i mean that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so if that happens then uli is going to get into the thing and working with morpsey's resources and now we are more intelligent where last time we did that of the seat of our pants will the massive communication effort again so we're okay. going to tell everyone look you know I and mean, we can do whatever we want nobody has to do anything but those corridors mm -hmm. go through the city of columbus uh, eight other municipalities, through mm -hmm. townships, non-incorporated areas, I and mean, they go throughout the place. So mm -hmm. you cannot, there's not a person we can speak with. I mean, there's a bunch of people we need to talk right, with. Right, right. But we'll tell them, you do what you want, but here's what, you what we are discovering, mm -hmm. so what do you want to do? Right. You know, and that next conversation. And then part of that conversation is, what means enhanced mobility corridor? Mm -hmm. What do you do in those corridors? And, uh, and we are about to initiate that conversation as well. Okay. Because and just are, to be clear, you're talking about this is the transportation realm. Yes. You're talking about transit or something <laughs> something to move people yeah, better. Yeah, move people yeah. better, right? I mean, yeah. it can be bicycle paths. It yeah, can yeah. be, uh, you know, it can be walking carpets. It can be <laughs> underground uh, tubes, you right. know, where Elon Musk fires bullets, right. you know. And, but it can be light rail. It can be trolleys, you know. Yeah. It can be, uh, but also it can be a swarm of... Uh, you know, mini uh, smarts, you know, yeah. uh, autonomously Autonomous controlled, view, you know, yeah. I mean, so there's, there's all kinds of solutions and we are going to make sure ULI, not to say people what to do, we never do, mm -hmm. but we enhance the debate so mm -hmm. we don't build the last dinosaur, you right. know, that we build tomorrow's system. Right, right. And uh, that might be transit or no transit at all. There's lots of debates about that. And mm -hmm. we are, we are, and the fact that Columbus 
uh, was able to be selected as the smart city gives us additional resources and access to more information. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not our forte, but we have one of our task forces, and we have three task forces right now, and one of them uh, are basically the ones who stir that conversation. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and you will see it's happening in the coming year. Uh, you know, articles and uh, symposiums and working with OSUs, you know, Central Real Estate and mm -hmm. working with COTA, etc. Mm -hmm. To basically stretch people's minds to make the best solution for our community and we don't go down paths, that we can we can pick that too, you know. Right. Yeah, so that's what's important. And then there is other issues we need to focus on as well. When you say dinosaur systems, what are you thinking about when you say that? <laughs> I mean, I think I can say without... Well, you know what, it might be controversial, but heavy rail would be a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know a lot of people, um, a lot of our readers are very interested in the transit question, and they've seen the history of this get brought up in Columbus, and we've come close. And we have accomplished some things, you know, um, COTA redesigned their bus network, and they've rolled out new initiatives and a lot of really positive things. Um, but I think a lot of people, at least among our readership, really want to see a signal that the city is serious about investing in transit, something that is not car-based. Maybe I, I, would, I would sort of put it in the category of, one, uh, making a real investment, which takes uh, some political will, and two, going so far as to even take space away in the public right-of-way from cars. Um, do you think the, um, the will to do that in Columbus is growing, or do you think it isn't, and the smart city thing is kind of shifting the conversation again? No. <clears throat> I think there is serious will in our mm -hmm. community to, to deal with this at every level. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say to... Uh, this young generation, you know, I mean, or your readers, you know, mm -hmm. who think they should be action. So what would you recommend right now? If you could do anything you want, what would you recommend? Mm -hmm. And how confident are you that what you recommend is the right system? You mm -hmm. see, I'm curious because when I have those conversations, there's a group in town who, for example, are very in favor of light rail. Mm -hmm. I mean, they feel that all this intellectual exercise is a waste of time. We should be just start building it. Well, you know, you can ask some sharp questions and you will find very quickly that uh, actually th there are lots of questions that are not answered. Mm -hmm. uh, there are two things that we are all aware of, I mean, who are basically the big disturbers and we mm -hmm. have not taken full scale understanding of them, even in the country. I mean, that's why we are bringing the best brains here to speak about those things. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and we are going to bring more people. I mean, one is uh, the shared rides. Mm -hmm. That is the ability of artificial intelligence to manage uh, swarms of vehicles. Uh, so today, I mean, you could organize basically, I mean, a bunch of, I mean, driverless smarts for a minute. Let's think about mm -hmm. it. To, you can position them optimally. You can manage, etc. You can take people home. I mean, mm -hmm. one spot to another spot. Mm -hmm. And you can also pick people on the way who happen to be overlapping with your, etc. With right. very minimal waste of time. Mm -hmm. Okay, the, that technology is not available yet. I mean, cannot be deployed immediately mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. But we are going in that direction. In Smart Columbus, I mean, we are recommending initiatives who will start mimicking that model in some areas of town mm -hmm. to see its feasibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, can someone tell me that a swarm of intelligently driven driverless vehicles could not be a solution to mobility? 
you know, I don't mm-hmm. think someone can negate that, mm-hmm. but I can tell you, I can make lots of objections to it. I mean, like, for example, one of the big risks is encouraging sprawl. Mm-hmm. Then you know what? I live in Zanesville, you know, call the car, picks yeah. me up, <laughs> I work in my computer, and yeah. uh, and uh, so now we, we go all over the place, right. you know, and that eliminates some of the benefits of concentration, you know, mm-hmm. for the future of the city. But you cannot totally negate that. Then if you talk about, uh, and the second part of it is autonomy, I mean, the, one is this sharing, you know, of, of resources, and the second major trend obviously is uh, the autonomous nature mm-hmm. of those vehicles. I mean, even if you have buses, can they be autonomous, you know, mm-hmm. and are they uniform sized buses or all kind of buses? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if we go with buses, what do you do with the drivers we have today? I mean, that's an $80 million payroll in the city, you know, I mean, or is that a progressive change? How do you do that? Now, some people believe in the same way as I'm saying that heavy rail is not, is a dinosaur. I'm talking about urban transportation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying between, say, Newark and downtown Columbus or yeah. Newark to Columbus. I mean, uh, I mean, th- that can be many different things. But sure. I'm talking about urban transportation. I don't think heavy rail is a solution. But at the same time, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the other hand, I don't think there are many people who refuse dedicated right-of-ways for the enhanced mobility vehicles. Okay. That is, even if I'm sharing, say, a smart with three other people that I don't know, he picked me up at my thing, those vehicles to be able to move faster mm-hmm. than individual vehicles, you know, with uh, enhanced uh, passages, with uh, controlled traffic lights, etc. Right. I don't think many people are against that either. Right. You know, so there are certain things that are emerging mm-hmm. that you might not know who is going on those right of ways, but we might need to have those, you know, mm-hmm. public right of ways. Uh, so, I mean, I think that, the, and I think the, it's very important uh, for all those dynamic people not to try to impose their views. You know, I mean, we need to come mm-hmm. to those things through progressive thinking and building of consensus mm-hmm. rather than muscling our way. Like in the past, I mean, you would have, you know, say transit car manufacturers, you know, who would basically gather and then start lobbying and try to push right. legislature, push people and get bond passed. I mean, we are past that time. In the world of transparency today, okay. we need to build intelligent consensuses and uh, make sure we do the right thing, you know. Well, there's still plenty of money <laughs> to be made, right? I mean, there's still really big corporations that are trying to um, kind of guide where the technology goes, right? That, that's why it's important, so frankly, ULI and the efforts we are doing, because mm-hmm. we are not, uh, we don't depend on anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we depend on everyone. And uh, and I would suggest to anybody, you know, interested in those subjects, just to join ULI and join, and we have a task force purely interested in uh, mobility right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, I mean, who's run by Keith Myers, I mean, mm-hmm. who is the, uh, works for OSU, and that's his area. And I mean, and their goal is to stretch brains. I mean, you know, share mm-hmm. information, make decisions and mm-hmm. things like that. Great. I'd like to also ask you, because I know I've, I've heard you uh, speak about this and just given your, your career and your expertise, Along with transportation, there's a lot of talk these days about the future of retail <laughs> and where that's going. Um, what do you think? Is it um, is the sky falling for brick and mortar stores? Um, How is that going to look in Columbus specifically? You know, uh, there has been about six, seven, eight years of uncertainty on this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, we. Uh, 
uh, I mean, there, there's waves, I mean, of information and adjusting your thinking. Clear, I mean, to answer your question first, yes, there's going to be brick and mortar. Uh, yeah. there, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, and, but at the same time, there is a malaise, which is clear. You know, I mean, there is something wrong with the brick and mortar retail. And, uh, and then there is some things who are spectacularly disturbing, you know, the <laughs> online delivery model, you know, and uh, I mean, buying online. And so the easy solution is there's a malaise, then this new technology is mm. killing the old one, and that's the solution. We are all going buying everything mm -hmm. online in the future. That's not true. But for that, uh, we need to, I mean, I don't know how much time we have, but I mean, <laughs> we can talk about those subjects for a long time. Every one of those subjects can take half an hour. Sure. But the, first, we have to understand what is the problem with brick and mortar retail mm -hmm. in America. That's what we need to understand first. And for that, we need to get into some socioeconomic data. And, uh, and that's a point I make all the time. Uh, between uh, the Second World War and President Reagan, the 35 years, 1945 to 1980, in America, if you look to tax returns filed with the IRS, the bottom 90% of the Americans claim 70% of the income on their tax returns, 70%. Mm -hmm. And the top 10% of the Americans you know, claim the remaining 30%. That was a pretty constant number over the 35 years. Then you go 35 years forward from President Reagan, 1980 to 2015. In 2015, the bottom 90% of the Americans on their tax return claimed only 50% of the income. Hmm. So we went from 70% of the income claimed by 90% of Americans to 50%. Mm -hmm. 70 to 50, if you do your math, that's a 30% <laughs> reduction basically mm -hmm. in available income. So, I mean, this is huge. But yeah. I'm saying it, you know, in a casual tone is a huge issue. Uh -huh. I mean, how can you tell that there was something changing? Well, look at Gap. They invented Old Navy because people, and because the 90% mm -hmm. of the Americans first are the people who live paycheck to paycheck. That mm -hmm. is, they spend most of the money they get. Mm -hmm. They don't have much time to invest. I mean, it's leisure time, maybe some of this discretionary, but all the money gets spent. Mm -hmm. So when you take, the, that's the money who goes to retail. Mm -hmm. So when you cut that by 30% and you still need your jeans, mm -hmm. well, before you bought them at Gap, you went to the mall and that was the cool thing to do. Now you go to Old Navy, the power center, yeah. because the jeans are cheaper. Right. And then we also invented, in addition to Old Navies, we also invented the warehouse um, you know, distribution centers, the warehouse retailers. Mm -hmm. So you can go to Costco and buy your jean for even cheaper right. than Old Navy. Right. Then we created power centers. I mean, the TJ Maxx's, the, mm -hmm. you know, uh, all these uh, discount tenants. We created outlet centers. Mm -hmm. All this happened after Reagan. That is, as we realized that the available income to the middle class diminished, Mm -hmm. Then the retailers adapted and they find cheaper ways of getting merchandise to us. So outlet centers, power centers, uh, discounters, all that period of time. So what that happened is, I mean, during that time, that's huge, right? Then all the malls that were created, you know, to appeal to the middle class who had 70% of the income, right. <laughs> did not have any customers anymore. Right. So mm -hmm. the biggest closures you are seeing right now is this, because yeah. where people used to go to Eastland, Westland, Northland, you know, Columbus, this, that, and the other, right. are basically, I do not have the buying power to be able to afford that merchandise, mm -hmm. and they go to alternative form of retail. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean? Well, people are still going to brick and mortar to those environments, but also then there is two kinds of retail. There is need and want-based retail, mm -hmm. and want-based retail discretionary spending. So there are environments like Easton who are doing extremely well. I mean, mm -hmm. we, I mean, we, I mean, I, I mean, we could share with you maybe the traffic from 2008. I mean, we 
barely had a year down. I mean, we wow. have always done well uh-huh. because we are much more responsive to people's expectations. Right. And, you know, and the traditional malls, I mean, are not responsive, right. basically. And that's they are stagnating, uh, increasing you know? traffic in each of those increasing, years? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some up and downs, right. but always <clears throat> up, you right. know, and... Uh, I mean, I mean, some years we're down 1.2%, then next year we're up 4%. So I right. mean, we made up for it, but we always right. went, you know. So, I mean, that's the strength. So what happens is, so the question is, what is the role of the brick-and-mortar brick environments? There's mm-hmm. two kinds. There's the functional kind of retail, which is TJ Maxx, Costco, I mean, all those outlet centers, etc., where they are basically a distribution channel. Mm-hmm. And then there's retail who is basically a lifestyle retail who appear to the discretionary income to the retailer, to the customer, which is Eastern type mm-hmm. environments. So, and where does like um, short North that falls in into the that second category, category. Right, second right. category, right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I, I teach a class actually at Harvard on this, you know, it's need and want based retail, mm-hmm. you know, the want based retail is basically where you want to be if you go forward. So, so why and what based retail environment like this works, even for online retailers? Mm-hmm. You know, it works because an environment like this is a better environment to capturing new customers. So what is the role of Easton for the future? Mm-hmm. Is allow retailers to capture customers. So if I am an Untucket, you might be wearing one, I don't know, but I mean, if you're an Untucket customer or mm-hmm. Warby Parker or et cetera, you come to Easton not only to make sales, but also to capture more customers. Mm-hmm. Because the cost of acquisition of new customers is the challenge for those retailers. Mm-hmm. And even online retailers now, they are all realizing that brick and mortar environments, the right ones, not mm-hmm. all of them, but the right ones are the place where you capture the customer. Mm-hmm. And you add to your portfolio because the cost of acquisition. And also another benefit of uh, brick and mortar environments that they are very scalable. Mm. Your fixed costs are given. Every time you have two, three more customers, your margins are huge. Whereas online, this, there's no scalability. Uh-huh. I mean, if you sell three more, then your costs are three times bigger because you still need to. Right. Because once you invest you in that to, storefront. Yeah, yeah. Because right. you need still right. to, the guy who packages it, then you need still put it to UPS truck. You need still right. to get it delivered. Right. And, and that's not scalable. In our system, I mean, we make more money. So, so what happens is for, because of those reasons, I mean, there's going to be a selection uh, uh-huh. that's happening in the future. I mean, retailers who are in the, who see themselves, I mean, people who see the retail environment as a distribution tool. I mean, Costco is a good example. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, their profit is your membership. Mm-hmm. Everything is at cost. Mm-hmm. Well, you want something at cost, you go to Costco. Mm-hmm. And, and that will survive right. because I mean, there's some benefit to it. And then there's environments like this, which is experiential, where you want to try, you want right. to do social interaction and things like right. that, and they are going to continue. So there's a future there. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but yeah, that's sure. a quick summary. Well, when I see in Columbus, there's a lot of talk about downtown retail um, and how do we encourage that and also at the same time what do we do with some of these closed down malls <laughs> in other parts of the city um, well what do you first of all for the downtown retail what do you what do you think well, the let me take the closed like? down malls first okay, there's sure. many closed down malls and multiple versions of them uh, in the past these are great densification opportunities but sure. normally they are in good locations mm-hmm. and they can be densified I mean mm-hmm. we just need to open mind about it and go about it and uh, and frankly what I'm hoping is that I mean uh, I mean you all I also caused uh, I mean Columbus to be selected uh, to the Ross Center study mm-hmm. which is very very important because I mean for example one of the lessons from all the outside brains looking to Columbus said your method of you know entitling is so primitive. Mm. I mean, everything is by variance. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I mean, why don't you establish the guidelines to match what the reality is today? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, a simple example is you still require two spaces of parking per apartment and, you know, and everything else, and that should be a variance, yeah. you know, where everybody knows today that two is a stupid number. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, Sami, why is your book still talking about that? You right. know? So right. getting, so we need to organize our zoning and our land use regulations to be consistent with our vision of the future of the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, we cannot, you know, I mean, like, for example, today in Ohio, we cannot do anything, any lot which is under 75 feet wide. Indiana can 50 foot mm. lots. Mm -hmm. So why can we do 50 foot lots? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, if people are willing to live in them and, you right. know, and the accessory dwelling units, you know, to create what I call grandma apartments yeah, in, the like back, in the back, you know, yeah. which basically doubles mm -hmm. the density, you know, mm -hmm. and also create mixity of people living together. Mm -hmm. These are all things we don't have in our books. So we need to put those things in our books. Sure. So that's that question. Uh, the first part about downtown, I'm going to say something tongue in cheek. They should come and talk to us. <laughs> no, because I mean, that's what we do. And yeah. We are trying to reinvent the wheel and I'm seeing the naive mistakes being made. Mm. I mean, it would be so simple because we would look at, you know, a corridor like, you know, short north, take it from, I mean, start where you want to say fifth or wherever you want to go. Mm -hmm. And, and we we'll look at it as we would look to an environment like ours. And then there are some very basic things they need to do and mm -hmm. in order to deal with this. They are bold moves. But what they think bold is not bold enough. It has to be bolder than that. Mm. Because one of the big problems of the short north right now, it is not a regional destination. Mm. And that's the problem. So if you put a retailer there, you go after the same few guys who live within a certain distance. Mm -hmm. And then that's why one brewery comes, one brewery goes. And another one comes, another goes. Because, I mean, you cannot put more breweries if you don't get people from, uh, say, Pit uh, Pickerington. Mm -hmm. You know, but why would I go from Pickerington to downtown where it's a hassle to park and yeah. there's no place, etc. You know, I yeah. mean, if you are going to... And you, you probably want, have a brewery in yeah, Pickerington. And you, yeah. need, <laughs> you can also. So yeah. you need to create... But I think Short North has assets... Mm -hmm. who exploited right could make it into a destination. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I wasn't on the record. I don't know even where it was. I don't know if it was the Chamber of Commerce or something in, in uh, 2002 or three. you know, I, I made a speech downtown because we just had opened Eastern Second Phase. Someone asked me, you know, who was our competition? Were you concerned about the continent leftovers of it or would be mm. concerned, etc.? Mm. I said, our biggest competition, I said, is going to be downtown. Mm -hmm. and, and people said... <laughs> <laughs> He's crazy, you know. There's only one guy who works Plaza Properties yeah. who later came and told me that based on that they decided to acquire properties oh, wow. downtown. And yeah. but I mean, I, I'm sure <laughs> they. I confirm the yeah, suspicion. Yeah. Anything else? So what's happening there is totally predictable. Has lots of opportunities, and uh, I think the city did a great job, you know, working with the local leaders, you mm -hmm. know, to try to push this and to make the changes mm -hmm. and uh, and I think there's going to be lots of opportunities there mm -hmm. you know and but they, they are thinking uh, not big enough I think but I mean I think that at the right time we'll get involved in that as well sure. because from the corridor studies then you're going to say okay so what do we do in the corridors mm -hmm. and then you know getting into um, as of right you know development uh, mm -hmm. envelopes you know is going to be what will be required and those are going to transcend you know the blocks the streets the precinct I mean it will have to be Citywide. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, where people, I, if you want, then Bexley is going to look to Whitehall. Whitehall is going to go to this, say, new model of densification along those corridors, and Bexley might turn their back to it, or they say, oh, heck, if we don't, we don't do it, then they are going to get everything. So, mm. I, yeah, I mean, there's going to yeah. be, I think, some uh, incentives there. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, from Grove City to Worthington to up north, you know, I mean, sure. so, I mean, you know, we've just, we need to, 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 to be patient, but not, mm -hmm. I'm not saying patient to, 
politically buried movement. It's just that you have to bring everybody together. I mean, mm-hmm. You cannot just go sharp, mm-hmm. you know, because then everybody turns against you and you cannot accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. Last question. I know you mentioned density, and I know there are plans in the future for kind of densifying Easton a little bit. Is that correct? Or adding residential, at least. Yes. Can you talk about yes. those a little bit? I mean, I, you know, we, we are peculiar about how we announce <laughs> things. But yes, uh, I mean, over the long term, uh, we believe that, uh, I mean, part of the densification of Columbus, I mean, we have lots of empty land mm-hmm. around us, and not only all controlled by us, but even the Stelzer Corridor going down to the airport. I mean, around Sunbury, around the Dominican School, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I mean, there's lots of land sitting empty along Cleveland Avenue. I mean, there's land mm-hmm. around here. And we believe that, uh, and I mean, our partners, uh, we all buy into the importance of, you know, uh, using our land wisely. That means, I mean, like any expansion of Easton going forward will be deck part. I mean, we will mm. not have surface parking mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a major commitment to density because also it's a financial sacrifice because sure. obviously the garages are too expensive. I mean, you know, land is cheaper right now, mm-hmm. but we are taking the position that we have to be, you know, protective of that. So, yes, there's going to be, I mean, literally over the long, I mean, I don't know how old I will be by then, but, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30 years from now or 20 years from now, there'll be thousands of residential units at Easton, mm-hmm. you know, whether they are condos or rentals or high rises or low rises I mean that's the the long term goal Mm -hmm. and we'll start seeing things coming off the ground soon great well, was there anything else you wanted to add? Or <laughs> I know we talked for a while, but no, no. I mean, I mean, the the, the areas of concern we have is, uh, I mean, frankly, ULI is three task forces looking into this, mm-hmm. and the one task force is about managing for growth. Mm-hmm. Be aware, we are a growing place. So think, we are growing. So organize your thinking, uh, integrating the growth into your thinking. Uh, the second thing is uh, mobility. You know, don't uh, don't think they are easy solutions. Mm-hmm. Today, even in the AV world, there are huge differences of opinion about how the future model is going to function. Right. Mm-hmm. And among well-financed people, I mean, Ford <laughs> doesn't agree with General Motors. They yeah. don't agree with Uber. I mean, there's a guy, a remarkable guy, Kornhauser, uh, you know, at Princeton, you know, who writes about this very, very well. So, so, so we are stirring the pot. Mm-hmm. We have no interior motive except that let's do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And because of our independence, you know, people listen when we give the input at least. And the third one, very important one, and we spoke very little about it, is the adequacy of the housing. Mm. Uh, we never found the right word for it. Some people call it, you know, uh, I mean, affordable housing or, uh, you know, workforce housing right. and uh, adequate housing, whatever you want. But there is a disconnect uh, between uh, the housing mix that is offered and the housing mix that is needed. And uh, and that's a subject ULI has taken on as well. Mm. But it's a very difficult subject mm-hmm. because that's the one where we are the, our, our task force has not been able to articulate a clear goal. You know, okay. where the two others, we know what we are trying to do. Uh-huh. But this one, we are not clear because first, there are many people in that area. We are not the first ones, right? I mean, right. there are people whose only job is to create affordable housing. Right. There are other people who see that as a social equity issue. You know, how do we deal with that? Other people, like Columbus 2020, thinks of it as a workforce development that mm. if you don't have housing where people work, and how do we deal with that right. issue, economic development? 
we also see it, and our group of people see it as an adequacy between supply and demand in size of units. I mean, you, you barely mentioned it, but the demographic profile of what is happening next 40 years mm -hmm. is very different than what has been. Mm -hmm. So where, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but almost the next 30 years, we don't need single family homes anymore. Mm -hmm. We have enough of them. Just buying and selling them will cover the need. Mm -hmm. But we need attached homes. We need mm -hmm. hard density product. Well, is our zoning and our thinking, you know, prepared for it? We are not sure we are, yeah. you know. And then the affordability is a big deal. I mean, mm -hmm. today you can, there is no way, even freeland, Non-profit contractors, non-profit mm -hmm. at cost, who can build an apartment that uh, uh, someone earning the median income can pay. Right, a new apartment. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, there's an impossibility. Basically, yeah. we cannot. So that means, I mean, so there's a problem. So what do we do? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, frankly, we are spending lots of time on it. And some of them is, uh, you know, like we are thinking about. Uh, maybe sponsoring or helping the, city, the state. We are working with our uh, ULI colleagues in Cleveland and Cincinnati, because they are two other councils, and see statewide if we can take an initiative to create a industrialized uh, housing, you know, systems that can then manufacture homes at, you know, maybe at much lower cost mm -hmm. than a traditional way of building them. So I mean. Don't keep repeating the past model. Let's think sure. different. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. can we have an Ohio model for industrialized house production, which mm -hmm. would cut the cost by thirty percent? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if you could, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so they are the kind of thing we are looking at right now. But mm -hmm. that's an area we we are still, you know, tentatively trying to figure out. Great. Well, thank you. Good. I appreciate the conversation. <clears throat>